0: to be safe for you and your family. The Wingate Inn, located in Missoula, it's an excellent option for business travelers, local business people, or anybody coming through the city of Missoula. Let the Wingate Inn make you feel at home even when you're not.
1: It's 4 o'clock. Welcome to Tutela to Nuanes, Montana's only statewide sports talk show. Broadcast on 102.9 ESPN radio for Western Montana and across the state on SWX Television. I like football! Now, Sports talk from Montana for Montana. Live from the Kurtz Polaris Studio. Here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanez. Hello, Montana. FCS quarterbacks starting on Sunday Night Football. How about that? The Dodgers are World Series champions and our ESPN Roundtable with Jim O'Day. It is to tell new one. two on. 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. An outstanding Wednesday to you. Thanks for being here. We are happy to have you along. Thanks for letting us roll with you through the midweek here on uh, this uh, late October day. Hope you are well. Uh, we are... Uh Available in a whole bunch of different ways. One of the ways is live on the internet, 1029 ESPN.com. You go to the stream. You listen on the stream on the listen live tab all the time. Thanks to Opportunity Bank of Montana, your local bank, your opportunity. If you want to get in on the phone line, you can do that as well. 361-3688 Area Code 406. Should not be a surprise. 406. 361 361- Three six eight eight. All guests join us via the Regis Brothers RV phone line. Remember, you can text us on that phone line as well. We opened today, looking for as many ways as we can to keep it at least somewhat local. In the middle of the week, you know, we got we got high school football playoffs coming up this weekend. Uh, heaven's the best. We also got a soccer state championship coming up tomorrow. Uh, move back to girls' championship to tomorrow now uh, on account of whether they will play that one. But uh, we start today with the uh, Saturday Night Football matchup featuring Ben DiNucci and Carson Wentz. Hello, a couple of FCS quarterbacks leading the... Philadelphia Eagles and now Dallas Cowboys for Ben DiNucci. So we'll get into that. We also going to get into the World Series. The Dodgers did it. 32 years in the making, but they broke through last night and uh, got the win, obviously. Blake Snell being taken out, the big controversy of, uh, of Game 6, perhaps the losing managerial move, and yet that is the managerial move that got the raise to 40 and 20 and to the sixth game of the World Series. So, you know, it is what it is, as they say. Uh, but the Dodgers getting it done, and look, they were the best team in baseball, and they won. On the World Series, so congratulations to them on that. We'll touch on that a little bit. It is a Wednesday. We are going to give you wings to the Desperado Sports Tavern. The best wings in the city of Missoula. Colter's got some trivia questions for me. We'll have a little bit of fun, a little back and forth there and uh, get you the wings for that. Uh, all that work that we do. Top of the hour. Very excited about this. Our ESPN roundtable. We welcome in Jim O'Day. Jim O'Day, the former uh, athletic director at the University of Montana for seven years. He was the AD uh, at, uh, at Montana and has continued in a consulting capacity continues to do work uh, with and around uh, the sports landscape helping out where he can and uh, and you know where you know some sort of the places that he's got relationships in nationwide truly uh, his uh, the scope of of uh, the network of folks that he knows and has worked with and continues to and as such in this ever changing consistently shifting place that is the world of sports in 2020 and especially college sports and some really unique things is about sports and athletic departments in the state of montana thought it would be a good time to sit down with him and say you know help us out give us a little perspective on what you look at what you see when you look at uh you know sports during the age of covid some football being played some football not being played like where are we at what are the financials what are the the things that are uh you know have import here and so uh we'll br- bring you his the conversation we had with him and i think uh, a very insightful one in general and uh we will also get into uh, a little bit of better's heartbreak. That moment when you thought you win a mil- won a million dollars, and then they did a stat correction, and you in fact did not win a million dollars. Pretty tough. Pretty tough. So there you go. We, uh, there's our show for the day. We will get into uh, all of that and play more. Hi, Colter. It's good. Baseball's over. Bummer. I felt like that's what you might say. Try and hold back. I watched the, the
0: entire last three rounds of the playoffs, pretty much in its duration. That's good. Yeah. World was Series was uh I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed myself last night.
1: Postseason baseball is is lovely, man. It's really interesting. It's wonderful. And, uh, you know, it's exciting. And, and congratulations to the Dodgers for getting it done. They were the best team, and they, they got the thing done. We wanted to start today, though, with quarterbacks at the FCS level. With the loss of Andy Dalton uh, in the concussion protocol. Don't know how long he's going to be out. The third-string quarterback, who is now the first-string quarterback for – your Dallas Cowboys is Ben DiNucci. Ben DiNucci from James Madison University, the number two the the, head, the starting quarterback for the number two team, basically consensus number two team in the country. We'll be going against the starting quarterback, former starting quarterback for the consensus number one team in the country at the FCS level, level and that being Carson Wentz of North Dakota State. Uh, it is actually not a recent or even new phenomenon to see FCS quarterbacks go on and have in some cases productive in many cases starting and in some cases absolutely outstanding maybe bordering on hall of fame level careers tony romo comes to mind ben roethlisberg he went to miami of ohio that's fbs but Mm -hmm. uh some of the smaller school guys obviously joe flacco went to delaware i don't know that he's a hall of famer but he's super bowl mvp Mm -hmm. and so uh, it, I think this was, it was three years ago, Colt, or something like that. Eight of the 32 starting quarterbacks in the league were FCS quarterbacks. Jimmy Garoppolo. We're going to have that on Sunday night, head-to-head, Carson Wentz versus Ben DiNucci. Why do you think that's the case? I, I think that there's actually several
0: reasons. My brother, when I was talking to him on the phone earlier today, he asked me this. He said he said he got an interesting question from one of his clients. See, my brother is a beer and wine salesman in Bozeman, as well as working with me, SkylineSportsMT.com. So he makes the rounds to a lot of people. They're very interested in sports and knows that he knows a lot about sports too. So even if he's selling them beer, oftentimes gravitates towards sports. But one of his main clients asked him, hey, why is it that the quarterback from James Madison is going to start for the Dallas Cowboys and there hasn't been a quarterback of really any consequence in the NFL from Michigan since Tom Brady,
1: yeah,
0: I guess maybe Brian Greasy; those guys kind of line up. I mean, but sure, right? You, you hardly ever see it, right? And Michigan State has had Kirk Cousins, but not really anybody else. You know, who's who's a South Carolina quarterback? in the NFL. Right. You know, who's a Georgia quarterback?
1: Yeah. Garcia, that kid the South Carolina kid who was like, you know, a good college player, but like you never see him play in college ball. Or with, professional ball. Who was the
0: last quarterback from Texas like yeah. that was like a impact NFL player, Colt McCoy? Yeah. You know Alabama's got a, a stringer of every skill position on offense rolling now because Nick Saban basically has told everybody hey it doesn't matter what our identity is what our style of football is come here we will develop you as an NFL at an NFL level you will be a top 100 pick. it doesn't matter if you're a safety a receiver, a running back, a quarterback, anything stack the cupboard. but I think that there's a lot of different elements here. but I think that to look at the Big Sky conference is one of the great examples of what you can uh, where you can take from what I think is the phenomenon. In the Big Sky Conference, by and large, schools are recruiting a quarterback who they expect to be the guy that wins games for them. We've seen a couple teams lately win the league or compete for the league title, namely Montana State and Weber State, without having that transcendent guy at quarterback. That said, though... Eastern Washington, for example, between 2002 when Josh Blankenship won the MVP of the Big Sky Conference and 2016, Bo Baldwin's last season at the helm at Eastern Washington, five different quarterbacks won a combined total of, I think, 12 different Big Sky Offensive Players of the Year. Three different quarterbacks won Walter Payton Awards, and all of those guys were the key factor to Eastern Washington being a perennial FCS power. You're recruiting this dude to be the dude and win for you for multiple years at a time. Mm -hmm. All of the pressure is on the QB. And Bo Baldwin was such a great recruiter that he was able to just, and then the production starts to recruit for itself as well, right? Like you have Eric Meyer. So you say, hey, Matt Nichols, come here. This guy threw for 12,000 yards. You'll be a four-year starter. You'll throw for 15,000 yards. Mm -hmm. And it starts to just build upon itself. But you look at... Every single time Northern Arizona has been good in the last 20 years, when were they good? When they had Jason Marietta, who was the best quarterback Jerome Sowers ever recruited besides Case Cookis, And when Cookis was healthy and he used in the playoff mix, when he's not, they're not, and that's it because it's all about this one guy. Montana's actually a program where they've had quarterbacks that was built all around, like Dave Dickinson. They've also had teams that won national championship, like in 2001 when John Edwards let him do a national championship. But I think that because we view it through the big sky angle, and because at this level, at the FCS level, you oftentimes can go get a guy with the recruiting pitch of, "Hey kid, you go to Texas A&M for example, Dakota Prukop from Montana State. He was recruited at Texas A&M. They were saying they were recruiting him as an athlete. They said well, you could have a chance to play quarterback, but we probably see him more as a safety. But if that's going to be the thing that's going to get you here, we'll start you at quarterback." but he's also going to be brought in with a class that features two other four-star quarterbacks, and there's just probably no way he was ever going to get a fair shake Mm -hmm. to play quarterback at Texas A&M. So then Rob Ash goes down to... Austin, Texas, and says, "Hey, kid, you're gonna play quarterback at Montana State. If you play your cards right, you're gonna start for four years." He ends up grad transferring to Oregon, so he doesn't start for four years. But it's the same pitch you give Vernon Adams. Hey, kid, do you want to go play? You know, do you want to go compete for the starting job at USC and probably get out recruited by some five star, you know, QB eleven type guy? We want to come to Eastern Washington and throw for ten million yards. At the other, at the Power Five level, though, particularly in the Big Ten and the SEC, very few coaches recruit with the quarterback as the pinnacle of the system right urban meyer won so many games at ohio state specifically but both florida and ohio state by recruiting great athletes and great leaders to play quarterback Mm -hmm. those guys weren't that good at quarterbacks tim tebow was one of the greatest college football players to ever live but he wasn't that good of a quarterback and he was never that good of a quarterback in the nfl either braxton miller comes to mind at ohio state same deal troy smith you know, guys that were great athletes but not great quarterbacks. But then you look at some of the other power fives, I th- I think that they don't need the quarterback to lead them all the way to glory. Now, Dabo Sweeney
1: is going on the other side. He's treating him like an NFL model, and he's bringing in Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence. Exactly. And this is what I wanted to touch on because we can talk about FCS and even, you know, some of the group of five, you know, guys, like a Big Ben, but – it's also interesting that even at the power five, mm-hmm. where are the guys that have gone to the top of the draft the last several years from? Daniel Jones, Duke, Trubisky, right. North Carolina, uh, Mahomes, Texas Tech, right? right? Obviously, you have soon-to-be Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun yeah. Watson, yeah. Tua. Sure. Maybe you throw Justin Herbert in there. Oregon is certainly in that, you know, big time football place, but hasn't had a ton of, but I guess the point is, is like where guys actually develop and become great quarterbacks from. Sure, I and obviously, okay, Trubisky looks like a bust. That's fine. Point is, is it's not as if like, you always know that you got two Bama offensive linemen that are going in the top yeah. 15. You know what I mean? You got, you, you, you're you going to have a cornerback a and a safety from LSU that are going in the first round of the NFL draft. But where the quarterback can come from, they sprout up absolutely everywhere. And all of a sudden you go, well, who's this kid at Georgia Tech, you know, who looks like he's, you know, the real deal? And how did he end up there throwing the football around?
0: Well, a lot of times, though, too, there's there's the common thread of trusted quarterback cultivators, trusted quarterback coaches. It was actually interesting, the three guys that you kind of just pulled out right there, because... Patrick Mahomes played for Cliff Kingsbury, who has at least a recent track record of getting guys to the NFL. The quarterbacks that came before right. and after Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, and Kyler Murray also went to the NFL. Sure. You mentioned Duke. Well, why is Duke, why did Daniel Jones have so much clout coming out of Duke? Because he played for David Cutcliffe. Who did David Cutcliffe develop? The Manning brothers. Where was David Cutcliffe's career path? Tennessee, Ole Miss, Duke. So the Giants just said, oh, here's Eli Manning Light. This guy had the same
1: Eli Manning heavy. <laughs> this guy had the same coach as the Manning brothers. Eli Manning never ran twenty one point three miles an hour ever.
0: And then you got the and then you got the the Larry Fedora has a, a good reputation as developing pro style quarterbacks. I think there is another factor too, like North Dakota State. You talk Brock Jensen, Carson Wentz, Easton Stick, now Trey Lance. That's four straight NFL quarterbacks. It would be impressive enough to have a fifth-round draft pick out of the FCS like Easton Stick was, let alone the number two draft pick in Carson Wentz, let alone now this other kid who, if he wasn't in the same draft as Trevor Lawrence and Justin
1: Fields, probably
0: would be a top-five pick as didn't well. Didn't you
1: hear it's not clear he's not going to be in the same draft as Trevor Lawrence? Well, that's true. Trevor Lawrence looks at number one overall and goes, hmm, Clemson looks pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe no, I won't go to the Jets. <laughs> it, it's true. but I think that, So t- talk to me about
0: this, though. I think there's another element, too, though, where – when you go to a power five, you're getting put under a lot of pressure. And so it changes your mental dynamic as a player, especially as a quarterback. Mm. At the FCS level, if you're a dude that's been brought in to build the program around, you're going to get a lot more chances to fail. There's going to be hardly any quarterback controversy if you're healthy. I mean, Case Cook is at Northern Arizona got hurt four times. He was never not the starting quarterback when he was healthy. It's his job. They recruited him to be the guy. That's it. And we've seen it with quarterbacks across the big sky. Whereas at Michigan or at Georgia, you get hurt, the next guy's up, you might never get your spot back. Mm-hmm. Texas, you get hurt, you might never get your spot back. But I also think that there's this element of everybody around you is so so good and they're performing at such a high level. Then, if you are ever the so often at the FBS, the, the power five level, the quarterback is the reason you're not winning games, not the reason you are winning games. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean how many times has Michigan had 10? future NFL players on the, the offensive line on the defensive side of the ball and been mediocre because of the quarterback. Yeah. So now all of a sudden the whole locker room's looking at you. The, then the next guy up, okay, are, is this going to be the answer? So there's this this huge spotlight on it. And I think it incurs it it hinders the development of guys because the dude who does go to Michigan out of, out of high school is better than the dude that goes to Portland State out of high school. But what they become in terms of the cultivation of their confidence, the reps they get during college, the experience reading defenses the different quarterback minds that they might be in touch with. That's the other thing that's interesting about FCS quarterbacks. We've seen North Dakota State have a variety of offensive coordinators over the last 10 years. Because why? They're killing everybody. So these guys get better jobs. They move on up. Or, you know, they lay in wait and become the head coach next. But that gives you a more diverse offensive acumen, too, because you're learning all these different systems And I think that the last thing, and I think this is where we're going to actually see a divergence from this current trend. I guess two things. One, so many of the Power Five programs, some of the elite programs, gravitated towards running the spread. That then made those guys not appealing to the NFL for a long time. Mm -hmm. Now everybody in the NFL is running the spread, too. Like There's a definitive reason why your boy Matt Ryan got drafted over a bunch of guys who were better than him. For sure. Because he was running a pro-style offense at Boston College. Now, you don't have to go look at a pro-style offense as much because so many teams are running the element of the spread. Then the last thing I would say is this. There's a definitive uh, dynamic to being a... Backup quarterback or a roster quarterback in the NFL. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're better than all the other guys. It's not a meritocracy that's linear, like offensive line or wide receiver. Like if you are one of the 200 best wide receivers in the world, you have a chance to be one of the five guys on an active roster in the NFL. And if you're like 205, then as soon as a couple guys get hurt, you're going to move up that ladder pretty incrementally. Being in the middle of quarterbacks in the in the world, say that there's a hundred quarterbacks worth giving a contract to or a roster spot to in the NFL. Being anywhere between like 30 and 60 is terrible because there's only a few Ryan Fitzpatricks in the world that can be the starter and be okay to sometimes good, but also be the backup and not be a malcontent. It's a nightmare it's 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 my biggest argument why Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a contract. It doesn't have that much to do with the political side of things. It's that if he busts, now you have a giant distraction in your locker room. It's the same thing that is has the potential to happen in New England right now with Cam Newton. Cam Newton doesn't have the mindset to be a backup quarterback. The guys that do have the mindset to be backup quarterbacks though, they can stay in the league forever. I mean how long has AJ McCarron been in the league without really ever playing? How long was Chase Daniels in the league? Forever. Because he was. Was. He still is. Is. Right. He's been in the league for 12 years without really ever playing. Because he doesn't have the expectation to be a starter. He knows he's just the backup. So it's honestly better to not be in the middle of the top 100, right? It's better to be number 70 through number 100. But then all of a sudden you are, you know, number 78 like Ben DiNucci. And... Jack Prescott goes down and Andy Dalton goes down and now you're up.
1: Yeah, and I mean the the impetus for this conversation is valid if it filters through Carson Wentz. It's not really that valid if it filters through Ben DiNucci because Ben DiNucci is a you know is he's in the right spot. Good mm-hmm. for him to earn that spot, but it is a circumstantial play. Obviously, that he would be starting for the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. Um, that said occasionally especially a guy playing in his very first game can come out and like actually play pretty well I think Jeff Driscoll the first like two games that he played Mm -hmm. was like hey maybe this guy's got something and I forget the kid out of Washington State that went to Buffalo and played for about three games well Luke Falk Luke Falk the first game he ever played was like a top 10 you know had like a top 10 in the league performance that week then through the 17 interceptions in the next three weeks or whatever and that was it and for Ben DiNucci is there any chance on Sunday that he comes out and go people go who's Ben DiNukowicz and there's no chance that he's going to do anything right but he does don't forget now got some good wide receivers sitting around there to throw the football to if you don't know you don't know how do you scout a guy you've never seen play so I don't know It's going to be fun for me to watch a Sunday night game. The
0: other interesting factor, too, though, is that when you talk about FCS quarterbacks that make it to the NFL, and I think this is why the quarterback position is so fascinating, and I also think why recruiting the quarterback position is such a flawed science. Because often it's just about finding a fit or getting a chance or having a coaching staff that believes in you and sticks with you. I think that's another thing that happens at Power 5 schools. When a guy hits a rough patch, well, you got this redshirt freshman in the wings. What? What? what why don't we see what this guy can do? Totally. Whereas the redshirt freshman in the wings at Montana State was playing at Manhattan last year. Mm-hmm. Like, he's from a Class B school in Montana. He's not ready. Totally. But I think that the other thing that's fascinating, though, is when you look at all the, a lot of those um, FCS quarterbacks that you named – That's what's so impressive about North Dakota State is all four of their most recent NFL quarterbacks, Brock Jensen, Carson Wentz, Easton Stick, and Trey Lance, were recruited by them out of high school and developed by them within their program. That is 100% unique. Mm. Ben DiNucci did not start at James Madison. He started at Pitt, and he actually started at Pitt, but then fell out of favor, coaching change, ends up at James Madison. Joe Flacco did not start at Delaware. He also started at Pitt. Tony Romo did spend his entire career at Eastern Illinois, but that's because of a bu- no excuse me Western Illinois. Jimmy Garoppolo is at Eastern Illinois, but both of those guys were committed to FBS schools coming out of high school and then same thing. Coaching staffs move, get fired, they dip out all of a sudden you don't have any offer you land at this spot. but like I was reading an article about Josh Allen the other day. Josh Allen had no Division One offers coming out of high school. So he went to a junior college. He had his coach send film to every single Division One program, both FBS and FCS, after his first year of junior college. He had two offers. Mm-hmm. To me, that just shows a flaw in the recruiting evaluation. You're either not spending the time, you don't want to see it, it's diluted because you have too many film pieces of film in front of you, or whatever it might be, because there's just no way you could ever watch Josh Allen and not say, well, I'll take a flyer on that guy.
1: Yeah. Uh, ben DiNucci, for what it's worth, uh, is a rookie. He was drafted, seventh round, by the Dallas he Cowboys. Was, yep, And, uh, you know, is going to be kind of you know, a guy that just... Get out there and watch, and you never know. Like you said, you know, when you were, you know, going to play in the ACC, and then you end up at a at a junior college or not a junior college, but an FCS school. You know, people always go, "Okay, well, what happened?" But you never know how it's going to go. Tell me this: if I am not mistaken, Romo Mm -hmm. got his start for the Cowboys as a result of injury to Uh, Drew Bledsoe, right? Yeah, so I think Bledsoe was there, got hurt, Romo came in, didn't give it up, then Romo got hurt. Dak Prescott walks in. Romo played one more game in sort of pinch-hitting relief, and that was it for Tony Romo. Now Dak Prescott gets hurt. Andy Dalton is there for a half. But now all of a sudden, Ben DiNucci walks in. Now, nobody thinks that Ben DiNucci is going to sit here and replace Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott is entering his prime as a quarterback. I realize, obviously, he's got a very long road back from an injury standpoint. But Tony Romo... At, you know at the least and certainly in the case of Drew So when that happened these are all the guys who are at the, the tail end of things relatively speaking of what their uh, of their careers their playing days Dak Prescott is not that but I'm just saying sometimes it's interesting to see sort of the way the uh, the door continues to spin obviously it'll all hinge on how well Ben DiNucci can play now and perhaps into the future depending on the availability of Andy Dalton what if Ben
0: DiNucci leads the Cowboys to a couple wins
1: then he is your quarterback for the remainder of the season.
0: Does that cloud what the Cowboys do with Dak Prescott?
1: I... No. I mean... No. I mean...
0: Isn't Ben DiNucci for $500,000 worth a better option than Dak Prescott for $40 million?
1: Not to Dallas. No. Uh, first of all, Dak Prescott... If you're talking about this simply financially, is a far better return on investment at $40 million for what the Cowboys get from having Dak Prescott be their quarterback than at least at this very moment, obviously, Ben DiNucci. Now, if Ben DiNucci comes out and lights it on fire, then, you know, you have a different conversation. But the other thing is, is Ben DiNucci, I mean, do we have any reason to think that he's going to be, you know, good? generally not like he is in a he's not in the he is in the enviable position of nobody expects him to be good so there's a low bar but also uh you don't have to just be good you have to be I mean Dak Prescott is you know pro bowl caliber quarterback and I don't think anybody really expects that out of Ben DiNucci but you know what a win They'll probably have themselves a very nice fiesta in Ben DiNucci's honor in uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area because they're grasping at straws right now. It's 2TEL and Nuanes, two ninety ESPN Radio. Quick break. On the other side, the Los Angeles Dodgers. One way or another, got the thing done. 3-1 the win in Game 6 of the World Series and get their first championship in 32 years. We'll talk about that a little bit on the other side. Hey, Living in Montana, we're here for a lot of reasons. and Most of them, well have to do because this is a great place to live recreate outside be outdoors okay but also if you're a business owner you work really hard maybe you don't have the time you'd like to have to spend to enjoy the place that you live well that's where black bookkeeping and consulting services comes in black bookkeeping and consulting services is a virtual bookkeeper that helps Small businesses organize, maintain, and grow their business, which helps keep your business running smoothly and gives you more time to do what you enjoy, to do what you want to do and why you live here. Black Bookkeeping and Consulting Services offers monthly bookkeeping and will even help clean up previous month's books. You can go back and do that all on your own. Let Black Bookkeeping help you. Visit blackbookkeepingllc.com, blackbookkeepingllc.com. Schedule a free Appointment evaluation today.
2: blackfoot connect to more
1: and just like that the shortest baseball season in the history of baseball comes to an end the los angeles dodgers world series champions over the tampa bay Rays. i got no problem with it i'm happy that the dodgers are the champions i congratulate them I am uh, very happy for Clayton Kershaw. I'm very happy for Dave Roberts. I am disappointed that there's no game seven tonight. That would be great. It's Tutel Nuanas, 1029 uh, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, at Gus Tutel on Twitter, at 1029 ESPN, and at Skyline Sports MT. You can go follow us there. You can also watch on YouTube, all kinds of different ways you can get in touch with us. Uh, Coulter, the game last night uh, was a very good game. Blake Snell was absolutely dealing and much has been made about, uh, the decision to take him out after one single hit, even though it not allowed a run. He was clearly upset. Uh, the, uh, up close replay showed you exactly how upset he was upon, uh, seeing his manager come out there and, uh, give him the, give him the hook. And a lot of people go, how could you do that? He was absolutely rolling his one hit. What's the big deal. But here's the thing. Uh, That is how Tampa Bay has operated this entire season. They've gone from starter often to closer in like the middle innings, get through the heart of a lineup in the sixth, Uh, unscathed is the idea. And then you worry about what happens, you know, in the eighth and ninth inning at that time when it comes. And even though Blake Snell was fabulous last night, uh, I don't put a lot of fault here on the decision to take him out because this is the decision and the way that this team has been managed from from the first game of the season, and they were the best team in the American League, they had the best record, they're in the World Series, this is what they do, and to stick with that and continue to do that, especially in a one-run game, is, is, I don't know if it's the right move, but it is being true to who you are as a manager and as a club and the way that this team is constructed. And I don't think that that all of a sudden Game 6 of the World Series is the time to go, nope, we're not going to do this.
0: Kevin Cash obviously took a lot of heat for this after the game, and he he basically said he was – here's his quote. He said, I regret the decision because it didn't work out, but, you know, I feel like the thought process was right. If we had to do it all over again, I'd have the utmost confidence in Nick Anderson to get through that inning. Blake Snell went on to say, I'm definitely disappointed and upset. I just want the ball. I felt good. I did everything I could to prove my case to stay out there. And then for us to lose, it sucks. I wanted to win. I want to win the World Series. And for us to lose, it's just too bad. I'm not going to question him. He's a hell of a manager. So I'm not going to question him. But I can only look forward to what I'm going to accomplish this offseason. So I thought it was a strange decision, man. I get that the top of the Dodgers lineup was coming up. They'd seen Snell twice. But he was dealing. To me, this is where like the math, the analytics, the the overmanaging comes into baseball. I mean, the, the, this that was the one flaw of what was otherwise a, I thought a really good World Series was the overmanaging, but I don't think that's a flaw in this specific situation as much as it is just a flaw in the modern-day game. When you got a dude like Blake Smell, and he's given up two hits through six innings, and he struck out nine, to me – Throw the analytics away. The math is going to tell you that Mookie Betts is coming up and it's the third time through the Dodgers lineup, so the hit percentages and and all that are going to obviously favor the Dodgers more than they had in the previous six innings. But it's the World
1: Series. Blake Snell is arguably your best player. I just think he'd keep the ball in his hands. Here's here's the thing. If this was a a strictly speaking analytics decision. Well, here we go. We're on the third thing in the lineup and even though this guy's absolutely rolling, you know, the numbers say, the stats say that, you know, it's going to go against him. He gave up a hit. We're going to take him out now. If that if that was the decision that was made, whereas let's put it like this, if that was a decision that was made in isolation, I would totally agree with you. What I'm saying is this team was built and managed according to those metrics and that this is what we're going to do the whole way through this whole season Mm -hmm. so this was not if that was something that was done that was out of character or maybe out of fear or whatever like that like no that that would be awful and even in this instance it still might be awful i mean obviously they lost right so you have that that hindsight but what i'm saying is is it analytics driven? It is, but it also became the DNA of this team. This is what Kevin Cash does. This is what this team does. This is how it goes. There's been plenty of guys on this season who've been rolling as starters that got to that point and they said, nope, we're going to the bullpen. We got a great bullpen. This is what we do. This is how we're going to do this. Everybody like this is how we're going to roll. And does that need to change in the postseason? Does it need to change in the World Series? Maybe it does. You know, maybe you have the benefit of especially on the long-term, even if a guy's dealing on one particular day, you got a whole season that you need this guy to pitch for. You got Blake Snell coming up again in five more days. Now, all of a sudden, there aren't five more days. This is it. This is all. So run that horse. Maybe that's reasonable thinking when there is no tomorrow. So I'm with that. All I'm saying is, if, if you build yourself up if you got a football team that's sitting there and they're great because they run and they have a great run defense that they're going to go against do you all of a sudden become a pass team no like you got to just do what you do and if you can't do it then so be it and i think this was an instance of that to me let's take it on the other side because i
0: think yeah. that <clears throat> this is the annoying part of sports commentary Think about what Results that we have no idea the outcome for. For all we know, Blake, Shell st- Blake Stelbs stays in the game, and Mookie Betts and Corey Seager and Justin Turner start shelling him, and, right. and it's a way worse loss than you ever thought, and all of that. Instead of analyzing what the Rays did wrong or what they could have done better, I mean, all the praise goes to the Dodgers, right? I think that because the, devil, the Tampa Bay Rays were such huge underdogs coming into this series, the chaos that was the ending of Game 4, I don't think the Dodgers are getting enough credit for re taking control of the series once again and winning it pretty decisively. That sort of loss could be something that just completely crushes you, and instead it wasn't. They went out and won the next two games and closed the series out and slammed the door in the Rays' face, and the best team in baseball won the World Series. It's a great point. And I just think that this Dodgers team, I it's... It's too bad because the image of teams that baseball has created by operating with a no salary cap makes it then somehow it takes away a little bit from the accomplishment that it is to win the World Series. It's just like the Dodgers won the World Series. Well, duh, they did. But if it was, well, duh, they did, they wouldn't have lost three of the last four World Series. That's right. They wouldn't have been searching for their first World Series championship in my life, I mean, since I was one years old, in 32 years. So, um, to me, the Dodgers deserve all the praise. I think that bringing in a star like Mookie Betts, getting him to acclimate to the team, signing him, taking all that pressure away, but then also continuing to have some of the guys that they have on their roster and compete at such a high level. They were the best team in baseball. They deserve to win it, and I think they deserve all the credit because I thought it was a wire-to-wire dominant last
1: couple months in anomalous but... Very difficult baseball season. It's very well put. And and in the microcosm of one game, which was game six, the decisive game, to overlay what we said, you know, about Blake Snell and then the managerial decision to take him out. Uh, Rosa Rania hits a home run in his first at bat. He's the second yep. hitter of the game. And then it's twenty six outs without a run given up mm-hmm. by a by on a bullpen game. I mean, the you know, the the Dodgers their, their starter last night uh, uh, goes five outs. He went one and two thirds and was gone. Which, by the way, is not a surprise. That was sort of the plan. They were going to do a bullpen game. But how great is that bullpen to come in dude after dude after dude and just go shut out, shut out, shut out, zero 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 all the way through? So you know, you can talk to me about cash and the decision. You can talk to me about Blake Snell. That's fine. But also, you can't score one run. And win a baseball game, especially in today's baseball very often. The other thing that I thought was worth noting that I thought you would just jump all over uh, with with pure and unadulterated hatred is it, it was 27 or 28 strikeouts last night. Mm-hmm. The most, I think, by two strikeouts in the history of postseason baseball, including the last two outs with Urias up there, who's great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just Staring at the dang thing coming right down the pipe, yeah, and I've never seen a World Series end on a called third strike. And, never in the last two batters, yeah, all just looking at it, yeah. and like, I know you're up there, and it's like this is the spot, and like, but I mean, first. It, it, as great as the, the the win is in the World Series, it wasn't the greatest game of all time last. night. It was a mm-hmm. lot of just, I mean, pitchers dominating. Okay, that's great, but I also thought it was a lot of hitters hitters wilting, and that eh, you know is what it is. And maybe this is modern baseball where all of a sudden it's three one because guys are just chopping at nothing or not chopping at all. But let's be clear the the
0: thing that drives me crazy about the strike the prevalence of strikeouts is not the actual striking out as much as when you got two guys on base and you have two strikes in the count rather than extending the rally by putting a ball in play or becoming a two-strike hitter you still swing for the fence that's yep. what drives me crazy the 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 milking of counts to try to set up the three-run home run rather than just playing baseball the inability to hit against a shift you know the swinging for the spot Based on the analytics, that's the stuff that drives me crazy. Yeah. Last night, most of the strikeouts were not because guys were swinging at bad pitches because they were trying to hit home runs to spark rallies. It was because the pitchers were so good. Yeah, Blake Snell was just mowing guys just, down. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, nine strikeouts in five and a half inning, five and two thirds innings is impressive. This is actually a, a crazy stat. In the last twenty postseasons, just two starting pitchers have ever had at least nine strikeouts before throwing seventy five pitches. C.C. Sabathia, the other one in the 2017 American League Division Series, he had 69 pitches by the fifth inning He had nine strikeouts. Snow went on to say when he was asked, did he think that there was anything he could have done to stay in the game? He said, no shot. That was one of my better games I've pitched in a long time. Honestly, the way I was controlling the zone and adjusting through seeing them, I felt very comfortable out there. The way I scouted them and myself with everything, I knew that they were what they were looking for. I knew what they were going to adjust to throughout the game plan when it came to understanding that that team – and what I needed to do, I was really locked
1: in, so I did everything I thought I could do to be the best out there today. Can I say two things on that very note? Because that's a great quote. First of all, everybody talks about the third time through the lineup and the batters are learning the pitchers and all that kind of thing. And and look, I understand the statistics dictate that the batters get better the more pitches that they see. Okay, that's all well and good. But why can't the pitchers learn the batters too? Why can't, you know, I understand you have your scout going up there, but why is the pitcher not learning equally about the hitter that he's facing within the scope of the game. I realize it's the onus is on the guy throwing the ball to make the pitch. Okay, So it is action and reaction, and that is a one-way street. There's not symmetry to pitching a baseball to a hitter. It's going to the hitter. The hitter's got the the one who's making the decisions about the ball. But, I mean, when you talk about Blake Stelly, he's like, I know what these guys were looking for. I was setting them up. I had Mm -hmm. them set up Mm -hmm. in the first at bat to get them in the second, and had them set up in the second to get them in the third. Potentially, Mm -hmm. Uh, I realize you only have so many pitches that you can go to, and at some point, it is going to skew in the in the hitter's favor. But I just think the presumption that, yep, that's you know twice through, that's it, that's all. The other thing I think is, if you are a baseball player, particularly Mm -hmm. you're a pitcher, this is what you live for. Right. and you are a Cy Young Award winner who knows that you got it going on and you get the hook, that is damaging relationally. I know that you know that it, this is the way the game goes. I know the way that you've managed all year, but but you know that doesn't change what you are as a human and what it, you're feeling out there, and this is going to take a long time for Blake Snell to get over.
0: And It's what I'm always arguing about, the peel from a fan perspective. It robs you of the ultimate drama of the game. If Blake Snell stays in after giving up the single, and then he walks the next guy, and now he's got two on with one out, can he figure? That's out? Yeah. what I want to see. Yeah, yeah. Can he figure out how to pitch his way out of it? Yeah. Like, imagine this is why the starting pitchers don't get to become as big a stars as they used to be. Because you would never take Kurt Schilling out of that, of course. Moment, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, you let them pitch their way out of it. Yeah, because they're Hall of Famers. That's what you do. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It is. It does drive me crazy. To to carry on your point though about pitcher scout hitters and all that sort of stuff too though I it's funny because I've been bemoaning the sport of baseball and my fandom for baseball but when I really engage in it I realize how much of a baseball nerd
1: I still am. Glad well, it took a, till the end of the year for you. To I know, get there.
0: but like, I mean, when I really start analyzing it from our seat and start thinking about it, then I I do start thinking about the nuances of the game, you know, how much the Dodgers grind out at bats, the way that guys are going about striking out. But what I saw from the Tampa Bay Rays I thought was so appealing and I hope it's a style that catches fire in the major leagues. The priority the, the prioritization of athleticism has been sort of bubbling But the Rays have exceptional team speed. That's what makes them fun to watch. It's Mm -hmm. also what makes them exceptional defensively. They are perhaps the best defensive team that you could see right now in the major leagues. But because they're so athletic on defense, because they can make so many plays that less speedy, less athletic teams could make, they have a completely and utterly different pitching philosophy than anybody else I've seen in baseball in the last handful of years. They aren't obsessed with the analytics. They aren't obsessed with jamming this guy when you need to jam him. Or, you know, never throw this guy a pitch on the lower half because, you know, one-fourth of the time he's going to hit it over the fence. Instead of saying one-fourth of the time he's going to hit it over the fence, they're saying three-fourths of the time he's not. I'm pounding the zone. They attack the zone. The pitchers pound. They want to throw first pitch strikes. They threw more first pitch strikes this season, percentage wise, than any staff in the last ten years of baseball. That's what makes baseball more entertaining yeah. for people to watch. That's right. Is when you have pitchers that are going after people. It's the pussyfooting around where you're not you're avoiding everything to get to the eight hitter, so you mm-hmm. can like get the the shift where you hit into the double play or whatever. It's good strategy, but it's not appealing for yeah, the fans. Right. The Braves are just sort up of going up there and saying, hey, I'm going to throw smoke. I know I got a bunch of great athletes, especially in the outfield, to chase down balls. Let's go. Bring it. And I hope it's a style that other people adopt because I think it's actually more sustainable. You can build a team that can make a run in the playoffs. It doesn't have to be so detailed or intricate. You could just have a bunch of young guys who are having fun, and that's what makes baseball so much more fun to watch.
1: Two-telling who want SPN 102.90 ESPN Radio. All right. Dodgers, World Series champions. Good for them. Quick break. On either side, we give you wings. Coulter gives me trivia questions.
2: Blackfoot. Connect to more.
1: You know what's better than doing what you're doing? Doing what you're doing with a basket of wings. <laughs> it's 2-Til One of 10290 ESPN Radio. SWX Montana Television. I Hi. Hi. At Gus2Tel at 102.9 ESPN. This on Sports MT. Have a, uh uh excited to uh, bring you some wings to the Desperado Sports Tavern. Uh, the Desperado, the number one wings in the entire city of Missoula. And you know what? That ain't all. Colton, when you and I go there, I get the wings. Of course. Doy. <laughs> but also, I don't you know. so much. Hammer through a burger. Great burgers. Watch Gus steaks. eat.
0: Watch Gus eat a uh, third-pound cheeseburger and twelve wings in about thirteen minutes last week. I was amazed. You know, I'm still
1: working on my leftovers. From you that, uh, you exaggerate so very much. That Such right? Such
0: a lie. But, but 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 first of all, don't it, tell our our listeners that. I only do
1: that to you because you're so fun to screw with. You, you you lied about the lying right there. You exaggerated the exaggeration, but that's not even what I was going to say. What you said about me... Everybody out the there, everything I
0: say on this show is gospel, truth,
1: that's all we do, journalism. Uh, you're almost exactly right. Hamburger, 12 wings, 13 minutes. Mm-hmm. First of all, easily. If you had the wings, how can you stop? It's like popcorn, stir- just keep giving them to me. See, I approach it from a different thing. I want them for
0: later, too, because I can enjoy them twice. You know what? I get another basket. <laughs> what are we going to give you one right now
1: 361-3688 eight, eight. you want a basket of wings to the Desperado Sports Tavern well of course you do 361-3688 eight, eight. call right now we got a basket of wings for you uh, we get, we'll send you the gift card in the mail you can go down there and uh, enjoy yourself a basket of wings uh, on us it's a wing it Wednesday we do a little trivia every Wednesday around here Coulter. This time you got the question. I don't know why I've been asking the questions. I'm terrible at the questions. You come up with the good questions. Let's go. What's your trivia questions for me today?
0: All right. The uh, Los Angeles Dodgers won the World Series last night. That was their sixth World Series championship. Seventh World Series championship. Excuse me. Sixth or seventh?
1: I think sixth. Okay. I think four in L.A. and two in Brooklyn.
0: I think it was actually five in L.A. and two in Brooklyn. Mm, we'll have to look. Two in the 50s for sure in Brooklyn and then... Uh, two in the 60s, two in the 80s, and then... One in the 80s. No. They no. lost one. Well, you no, think no. 83
1: and 88 the or 80, whatever? 81, 81 and 88. 88.
0: Those are what the trivia questions are about.
1: Oh, oh, good. There, this ought to be 32 fun.
0: years ago, the Los Angeles Dodgers won the World Series against, yes, against the Oakland Athletics. Right. Who was the MVP of that World
1: Series? Well... I'm gonna say Oral Hershiser. That is correct. Okay.
0: Oral Hershiser set the major league baseball record for scoreless innings pitched in that postseason and that wow. continued into the World Series. That was a th- that was a postseason row. We've talked about the the legacy of pitchers. Oral Hersheiser, by and large, was a very average pitcher in his career. He has been talked about as an excellent pitcher for the duration of the memory of baseball fans because he did have perhaps the
1: greatest Postseason season run of any pitcher in Major League Baseball it's history. Phenomenal. The other thing that I get that, that it just it just sort of slays me about Oral Hershiser. you see some of these guys, I mean, you talk about, you know, David Wells, mm-hmm. right? Kurt Schilling, certainly. Mm-hmm. Some of the, you know, the Rocket, and, you know, Nolan Ryan, all these guys. Big, powerful, Randy Johnson, the whole thing. If you see Oral Hershiser. Walking around and he's got his You just think, you know, you think he works, you know, he he's the, like the tax man. You know what I mean? Like he's working for the government, doing, you know, doing some government accounting job. I mean, he just, he is the most, you know, unassuming is probably the right word type of guy you ever see. And then he gets up there and was just fearless and fearsome in the postseason and pitched above his abilities. You're right. Like, like, I guess not above his abilities cause he did it. So it's within his abilities, but pitched, sure. pitched better. You know, he's a guy who, you know, had it when it was needed. Right. And, and uh phenomenal. All right. It's probably the greatest spike in terms of what your baseline career was. Or says it was a
0: three time all-star in his career. Good. He won 204 games, struck out 2000 and change. Had a 3.5 ERA. Like, just right down the middle would be pretty darn good.
1: Well, I would say it's a little better than that. I mean, that's a a very good, good. long career. It's it's,
0: it's good. It's good. But it's not a Hall of Fame career. But he had a Hall of Fame season. Because it wasn't just the 88 with the playoff run. He won the Cy Young that year. Mm -hmm. He had 23 wins. He had eight shutouts. Fifteen complete games. It's one of those anomalous years because he, I mean he finished second in the MVP voting. He won the Gold Glove. He did everything that right. year. He was the <laughs> he was the Championship Series MVP, the World Series MVP, yeah. and he won Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year. Wow. And he never returned to that level. In fact, not really anywhere close to that level. But it's a season in time that will never be forgotten. Okay, okay. you're one for one. Number two, Dodgers versus Oth- Oakland Athletics. Yeah. Name the two managers in that World Series in 1988. Tommy Lasorda, Tommy Lasorda's the, the Dodgers. Yep. Good gracious, do I know the, the answer you to that? Absolutely. Do he might even still be managing today? If he's not, he just recently retired. Mm. One of the great managers in the history of baseball, and absolutely the best non the best non
1: Yankees manager of the modern era. <laughs> oh, man, I mean. uh, so, not Lou Piniella, He's out. Nope. Uh, w- was he with the St. Louis Cardinals for a long time? Oh, shoot. Now his name's escaping me. Tell Tony, me. La, Tony Tony La Russa, La Russa yeah, yep. yeah. See, t- Tommy Lasorda and Tony La Russa, they could make a, like, a song out of they, that. They could. Right.
0: People also forget that 1988 World Series. The Oakland Athletics were a enormous favorite. They had mm. won 106 games during the regular season. The Dodgers had won 94. Right. So, for the Dodgers to win that... Was good. Okay, so the 1981 was the other Dodgers title of the 80s good. Of, one, of year, I'm one year year, I'm
1: one-year-old. Good. I should be able to have all of these. The, yeah, you're never going to get I literally this. know nothing about this. I don't even know who they played. <laughs> I know you don't. Okay, so. I just thought this was a very anomalous trivia question. us. tell us your stuff. Well, the trivia question
0: was, this is the first, last, and only time that there was co-MVPs in a World Series. Mm-hmm. Three Dodgers shared them. Wow. I was going to tell you to name one, but Ron Say, Pedro Guerrero, and Steve Yeager. Three-way MVP.
1: Love Yeager. Roundtable
0: next.